Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 137, Flying with Diabetes, Deficit Chart Enhancements, and Hold Short of Wear, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome, aviation friends. My name is Carl Valeri. I'm joined uh, this evening with some of my favorite co-hosts. I've got uh, we have Victoria Newville. Victoria, welcome. Thank you. Hello. And Russ Wasleski. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Russ. Hit again. Hi, Carl. And uh, actually, from from I like to say the warm north. I'm in Florida <laughs> today, and, and and Russ is actually warmer than we are here. It's a it's a warm spell there, isn't it? It is here in Oklahoma. You bet. Uh, and also, uh, Rick Felty from uh, yes. the Boston area, and you're you're actually relatively warm, but warm. won't be for much longer. Yeah, relatively warm. Well, in general, it's been it's been a nice warm winter. I mean, we're we're not looking at a lot of snow until mid February at the earliest, and that's that's pretty amazing for us. And maybe we'll maybe we'll make it through without too much of a of an impact. So yeah, yeah. it's in the twenties tonight, but uh, you know, the, like it's going to be in the forties on Wednesday. It is. It is. And, and, you know, some people have asked in the past episodes as, as far as winter. Yeah, we talked about winter and winter flying in some of the past episodes. If you want to look at, up those episodes, just go to, to winter. Just type that into the uh, search bar. Try to use that search bar as much as possible. I know I use it as a resource on the side of the screen there at stuckmikeavcast.com. But, uh, again, welcome, everybody. Let's do the pre-flight. And uh, before we get started... In our pre-flight checklist, we have a couple of announcements and a sponsor to discuss. Uh, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Three Point Aviation Services. Uh, check out Three Point's book and video, IFR Holding, at expertaviator.com. You can find out more about Three Point Aviation at, at www.3pointaviation.com or, of course, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash threepointaviation. And also, all the links to the books, the videos, etc., are actually at the bottom of the screen. So make sure you, you check that out. The uh, Three Point Aviation, it good, it's a friend of a podcast. Uh, if you remember Chris Bazala, Chris was uh, actually on, um, gosh, oh, I can't remember when, but it was not too long ago. He actually was on the podcast and uh, was doing, you know, doing a great job of talking about holding and holding patterns. Imagine that. He actually wrote the book about IFR holding patterns. So, uh, that's uh, it's it's really interesting. Uh, he's really del- delves deep into the topic. Uh, check that out at Expert Aviator and also Three Point Aviation. Also, if you're looking to sponsor a podcast, uh, make sure you check out uh, uh, StuckMikeAvcast.com and and look at our. Uh, I think we have our numbers on there, uh, but it's uh, it's actually a, a really good deal that we have. If you want to become a sponsor, also if you want to help support the podcast, we would appreciate you sponsoring it, and we will mention the name or name of a charity that uh, is your favorite charity, etc. Also. Joining us, by the way, who just flew in and landed just now, uh, before we get moving on here, is Tom Frick. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it, all, how's it going? Good, caught good. Up in the, caught up in the terminal. 
<laughs> that happens. Actually, I was in uh, in your neck of the woods today, passing out uh, cards. Uh, actually, for aerospacescholarships.com, uh, just trying to tell people more about uh, that. There's money out there uh, for scholarships and uh, for flying. So that's the other sponsor. Of the podcast is aerospacescholarships.com. Um, also, some announcements we have. I have one announcement. And that is actually, and I think this is cool, is Sun and Fun's new website. I had forgotten to talk about this before, but it, they made it easier. It was, remember, we used to stumble over it in the radio show. It's sun-n-fun.org. Well, it's flysnf.org is their new website. Uh, go check it out. But also remember that April 4th through the 9th, we will be at Sun and Fun, and we will have a live show. And, of course, I will be there uh, as one of the uh, co-producers of Sun and Fun Radio, along with our friends Dave Shellbetter at Sun and Fun. And uh, Tom Frick always does a great job. Tom, actually, you are do a lot of behind the scenes besides actually being on the radio. You've been to production and to announcements, actually, uh, and you get out your hammer and a screwdriver, and you build, help build the deck and, and put up all the, the materials. So, Tom, hats off to you. Uh, with all the different work that you do there, it's, uh, we really appreciate it. And without, yeah, and I'll, like I, I appreciate it too. You know, just yeah. being—it's always been fun to hang out at Sun and Fun Radio and and uh, just be an all-around good egg. No, that's cool. Yeah, it, and it is. It's just a wonderful, wonderful people there, and uh, we all appreciate being there as a sponsor and and also uh, being there as a volunteer. And it's people like like Tom, and also uh, another person that's going to be there, of course, is Russ. Russ Wozlewski. I'll be there. Yes. Are you going to be there the whole the whole time, Russ, or don't you know yet? Uh, that's my plan. Yeah, I'll be there the whole time. Cool, cool, cool. cool. So uh, we're just getting all our media. That's good to hear about that. Uh, we'll have to do talk about that offline. Getting our media credentials for that event. Of course, that's a big event for us every year, and uh, and the live show is uh, usually the longest live show running at. Uh, at Sun and Fun, so listen to that uh, in the future, and uh, also remotely. Usually, we have uh, Rick and Victoria, depending on on our schedule. So it'll be a be a whole bunch of fun. Now entering cruise flight. Moving on to cruise flight. Those are our announcements. Cruise flight. We have a couple things we want to talk about uh, this evening, and uh, a couple really interesting topics. And some that are going to be, I guess, maybe a little bit confusing and going to take a little bit of brain power to, to think about. So uh, one of the things that I appreciate you're doing, if you're listening right now and you're online, click on stuckmikeafcast.com and click on the taxi diagram I have there and the air traffic uh, policy. Uh, there's actually a policy that we're going to discuss as far as taxing, et cetera, and uh, hold short of where. But before we uh, have you start looking for that while we talk about some of these other topics. Uh, first topic is under the, the guise and, and the topic of I never knew I could fly with that. And uh, this one is Flying with Diabetes, uh, Raising Diabetes Awareness. It's actually a website. We're hoping to have these folks on. But uh, one of the things that I did not know uh, until recently was about diabetes and uh, and flying and how it works with your medical. And a lot of times there's there's all these questions as to what we can do and what we can fly with, et cetera. Luckily, you know, at my regular job, I have uh, these aviation consultants, uh, medical consultants, that because I pay my union dues, we can call them and they go into detail as far as what I can do as far as flying with diabetes. But there's a lot of other cool organizations out there obviously AOPA, but this one's really neat. It's uh, it's a website, flyingwithdiabetes.com, uh, and these folks actually talk quite a bit about how to how to actually get your medical if you have diabetes and what uh, type of diabetes you can fly with. So there's different there's different hoops to, to jump through, and I have friends that are airline pilots 
that actually fly with diabetes. And that was one of the things that I was, I was really surprised about. Uh, the other thing I was surprised about is, is heart problems. Uh, I know people that have had stents put in, people with coronary bypass that have gotten their first-class medical. So I think that's really cool. And that uh, I know some of uh, the other folks here, the other co-hosts, have had, uh, had experience with people flying with different uh, challenges. I know, Victoria, we had uh, – who was it we had on uh, a while back? Jessica Cox. Uh, Jessica. She, yeah, she's, she has no arms and flies with her feet, and she's incredibly inspirational. You'd have no idea she had any issues. Wow, wow. And, uh, you know, there's uh, I, some of the other co-hosts, too. I had no people. I know, uh, I think, Russ, you were discussing somebody you knew that had a, had a challenge that's actually still flying. Well, monocular vision, you know, only uh, one of his eyes didn't work. But uh, he, he passed a, what's it called, the, uh, the SODA, the... Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what the acronym stands for now. Something of demonstrated ability, so, and yeah. yeah, it was no more, no more problem for anything yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. All you need is that statement of demonstrated ability, and uh, and you're is, good yeah. to go. Uh, and I know that we had uh, people that have uh, color issues. Uh, Rick, I think you had uh, something yeah. with on those. Yeah, lines. I'm re- I'm red green colorblind, and uh, I at at a certain point had to uh, do a, a a light gun test at a, at a local airport and. It was pretty simple, but that I needed to do that and uh, get that that waiver, essentially permanent waiver that that I bring with me for uh, for physicals, and, and uh, so that that handles that because otherwise I don't I don't pass that portion of the of the eye test. Right. Yeah. I hate to see you on a driving down the road. Red, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. It's you know I, I didn't even think about it really going in. And no one really talked to me about it, and then, then you know, oh, this has you have to do this, and then um, pretty early on because you know your my first, you know, checkup thing, it was clear that I needed to do something and got that done. So, or I, actually, I didn't need to do it to train; I needed to do it, I think, for the check ride because it you was later. I just remember it being later in my process that I went and uh, did that to, to the FISDO and got it set up, and they, you know, and it was a little nerve wracking, I'll just say, because I'd never. You know, I'd never seen the the light guns at that particular airport. You know, hadn't hadn't practiced, <laughs> like I didn't know. So it's just it was just a quick. You know, is that a color I recognize? You know, and it 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 was no big deal for me. You know, and that that actually is something I think is is the worst part, isn't it? It's the not knowing. It's like here I just yeah. started this you know hobby, and now I'm not sure if I can actually do this hobby and and it's like gosh this is really disappointing right uh, i really feel for, for for people who have you know who are who are working through issues of uh of uh of, of certain illnesses that they have temporarily or, or or permanently and and uh challenges they have as well as you know if they're medications all that stuff um i feel for them because there's a lot there is a lot of in it's at times some of it's very clear and it's written down and you know what it is and other times it's not. And I feel, I really feel for people that are in the position of not knowing or having to work through those things. Right. So, so the point being is we all know people with challenges and and we've had challenges ourselves. You know, I've actually taught deaf people how to fly and it's, it's something that you have to look into. If you want to get in aviation, you can do it. Uh, there just might be a, a few hurdles, especially with your medical. We all think that we have to be, you know, fighter pilot perfect to be able to pass a medical to go fly and that's totally not true and uh now with the new uh medical 
certification standards that uh, have come out starting May 1st, which we talked about in the last episode. That's pretty exciting because they get a lot more people into aviation. Less worries, I think, about actually passing the medical and that type of thing. So that's that's going to be really, really cool. So there's a lot of reasons you, you can fly, uh, and there's a lot of reasons you can't fly, but you have to figure out what, what's the answer to those questions. How do you figure that out? Well, there's a lot of great organizations out there that can help you, and AOPA really is one. So, uh, so yeah, I just wanted to mention that one. I think, I think it's terrific that uh, there are these different organizations out there. And a big shout out to the FlyingWithDiabetes.com folks. And I really uh, I'd love to have them on the podcast sometime. Uh, let's see. Our next topic we want to move forward with is uh, actually interesting. It's uh, not that that wasn't interesting, but I'm just saying there's uh, some different changes that have come about with Jeppesen. Jeppesen is actually uh, it's a commercial producer of charts. And uh, if you remember in the history, uh, Mr. Jeppesen was actually one of the people that helped uh, design some of these letdown procedures. And these are procedures so that we can get into airports, started, you know, taking notes and saying, oh, there's a tree here and there's a tower here and there's a you know, rock here. Uh, but it's, it's really actually has changed quite a bit as far as certifying approaches and and the charts that are associated with those approaches. I know that, uh, you know, Russ is really a, a chart geek himself, and he loves uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think uh, all of us here that listening that are instrument-rated are, are chart geeks, but he really, really delves into it. And uh, one of the things that I found, uh, Russ, and I know you got to look at this, and you know uh, both the government charts really well, and... Uh, uh, we're able to look at this presentation on the Jeppesen charts. I was just saying, just thinking, you know, what do you think overall? I know you're a big, uh, you know, government person, but what do you think of these these new changes on the in the Jeppesens before we get into it? Well, yeah, big government person. I like the way you word that, Carl. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I am obviously most familiar with the government charts and not as well with the uh, with Jeppesen, but um, it, they've it's the uh, the SIDS and star charts is what we're talking about primarily and. And they're doing, as I see it, two main things. They've got a bunch of little changes with the, you know, where they're putting the information and all. But uh, two of the big changes I see is one, they're putting terrain on the SIDS and stars, which has not been on there before. Uh, terrain's been on approach charts, uh, but not so much on SIDS and stars. And we talked, uh, uh, was it last episode or the one before maybe about uh, the approach into Medellin and how there's all that terrain around, and it probably would be nice to have that on the uh, the star into there. Um, and the other thing is they're, they're making them to scale, which, uh, which is a pretty big change, uh, because, you know, stars haven't been to scale before and that, and as a result, they haven't been able to really, um, you know, put the little moving map airplane on them in the electronic flight bags, uh, because they haven't been to scale. Uh, the, the government SIDS and stars are not to scale and I'm not aware of any move to make them that way, but the, uh, the Jefferson ones apparently are, are going to be. So, so that's very right. interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's awesome. That's a great summation of of the biggies, the big changes. Um, the one thing with doing it to scale, to have the charts to scale, is you know your your moras and your minimum safe altitudes. Uh, they've they have to change the depiction of those. Uh, yeah. Remember, they're up in the corner now. They've actually put them on the chart in in a magenta color, and uh, they have radials from an avade. Uh, that will show you where those different uh, MSAs are and on that chart and uh, and more. It's pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. I thought it was exciting uh, to see that come about. Um, but just di- diving into this here, just as far as the Jeppesen charts are concerned, if you're listening again right now and you're on your computer, 
go to the show notes and click on the Jeppesen chart changes for 2016. I forgot to mention this in the beginning. You can follow along with some of the things we're talking about. We're not going to go into everything, but I do want to highlight some of the really cool things that, that have come about and things that, that I've seen that have been a big difference. And uh, one of them actually is is in uh, uh, Rick's background there, or backyard there, is the Boston charts. And that's uh, one of the things that has really been interesting uh, as far as the, the stars are concerned and, and going inbound on, on the on the arrivals is that they're changing those. Uh, the Roebuck 2 is the one I'm talking about, and that one's going to change so that we have a lot more uh, you know, uh, situational awareness. Right now it's still in the, the black and white, but now with the, the color, it's going to make it so much easier to actually do that arrival. Uh, the the arrival that uh, you're not going to see these charts out at, in every airport. Of course, a lot of the operators, the airline operators have them, uh, like the Cameron 4, that type of thing, into JFK, I think is a good one to look at. But uh, And we'll have links to that. But one of the really, really neat things about it is it's been decluttered. In my mind, that is is the best part. And also there's colors. And uh, the, the biggest thing that they've done, and this is you know talked about right in the beginning of their presentation and, and when they also go out on the road and talk about these chart changes, whether you're doing it through your airline operator, your char- you know, charter operator, is the fact that you should be able to have less heads down time when you're looking at the chart. That is the most exciting thing to me about these new charts is that I can quickly look down and uh, and then actually interpret what's on there quickly and get the information that I need and find the information I need quickly. So that's that's a big part, I think, is getting where where do I find that information and having my eyes not move quite as much. I know where where I need to go on the chart and I see it. It, it, it shouts at me, hey, this is the MSA. This is, you know, this is the 3000 foot or 2000 feet or whatever. And it's right there in color. So I think that's really, really cool. Yes, Carl, I, I do like the color myself, too. And, and uh, for those listeners who are kind of following along, they've, they've got, well, they've got the terrain, which is in kind of shades of brown, I guess. Is that brown? <laughs> Yellowish yeah, the kind of brown? Yeah, yeah it's browns, yeah. yeah. So. And then, but then they've also got out the uh, minimum maximum altitudes, block altitudes are all in, uh, looks like a bluish color. Uh, they've got the minimum safe altitudes in a magenta color, and they've got some, some notes highlighted, like speed notes. Uh, or, or uh, also in that magenta. So things really stand out. I think it's like anything, it's going to take a little bit of time for people to get used to it, uh, to know, you know, what, where to look for what, but you know, we've all, we've all seen, you know, the first time you look at a sectional chart, it's just got tons of stuff on there. But then as you get experience with it, you learn to mentally filter out what you don't need at that moment when you're looking at it. And I think the, uh, the Jefferson charts will turn out the same way. Uh, you'll be able to highlight what you need and, and ignore what you don't need. I think the coloring really helps with that. Just yeah. looking at these examples online here, like the altitudes just pop out so much easier than when things were just black and white. I think the color makes a big difference. Yeah, like you were saying with the magenta and the speeds, and now the altitude restrictions are in blue, uh, it's really easy to figure out what's what, you know, what we need to do, et cetera. Uh, and, and the... The restrictions are really easy. You know, it has the line that says, you know, you may at or below or at this altitude. You have two lines. Say if it's you're at 7,000 feet, they'd have a line below and above it saying, okay, you have to be at that altitude. And if you need to be at or above, they'd have a line below the 7,000, you know, and, and at or below is the lines above the 7,000. Really that simple. Uh, but I think you know, Victoria. That's a good point. Is that they've they've made it pop right out of the out of at, yeah on that chart, and it's a it's a wonderful thing they've done. Another thing that they've done is decluttered. They've pulled out a lot of the information, like the lat longe. 
uh, latitude and longitude. I mean, we really do we really need that on the chart right now? Eh, probably not. Uh, do we need to have certain other things on these charts? Probably not. So they de- they determine that's what we need to do is to pull those off there. Uh, the topography I think is really cool, like you said, uh, as far as on the on the SIDs and the stars. I think that's awesome that they've put that on there. So now I can see where all that terrain is. Of course, if I have a Garmin, I can see that too. But uh, and and also if if you look at this, you start saying, you know, why are they doing this? Well, they're, they're having to compete with other other products that are out there. So and they're also trying to enhance our experience and. And that's why they're, you know, it's a for-profit company, Jefferson, and they they want to make sure we continue to use their charts. There's got to be a reason there to use those charts, and uh, and this is what what's great about them is these incremental changes that they do on the JEP charts. One of the things that um, you know was kind of confusing at first is when I first pulled up one of these charts. I, I feel kind of embarrassed by this, but. Um, you know, I, I fly, I have, you know, a couple people I fly with often, and they ask me, you know, what the heck is this, you know, and. Uh, I'm like, gosh, you know, I, I'm not so sure what the actual depiction of this is. And what they were talking about was we just talked about the minimum safe altitude, say, and you're looking at like, say, 3,000 and 2,000, and they're segmented by a radial from a, a VOR, and it's a circle, and it's like, well, how do you, you know, what does that mean? And I was like, gosh, I'm, I'm not totally sure. I, I need to read up on that. And we're sitting there, and he's like, he's looking at me like, well, you you teach this stuff. Why don't you know this? I was like, oh, man. Yeah, you're right. You know, I really need to need to jump on this. But uh, the grid moras uh, are awesome, uh, and uh, minimum safe altitudes. Grid moras, they're they're just really cool. They do pop out there on the Jeps. Uh, there's the one thing that I would really highly recommend is going to the Jeppesen website because you can get into most of the videos and also what we're talking about with the PDF files that you can download. If you can't actually download the course, you can download the PDF, and there's some really cool stuff on there that. Uh, depicts all these different arrivals. The other thing that I, I'm curious about too, and, and, and you know, you can write in and talk to us is, you know, how many people actually use JEPS? I know I use JEPS and I use, uh, you know, the government charts uh, and when I'm actually flying general aviation. But how many people actually use Jeppesen in their general aviation flying? I know now, Victoria, you've you've in the past when you were doing instrument training, et cetera, and, and when you do instrument flying, is that uh, something you use JEPS or do you use the actual government charts? I actually use the JEPS because my flight instructor has a subscription through his job, and I always end up stealing his iPad because between using both, for some reason, I've learned to prefer the JEPS. So um, although I don't have my own subscription yet, I always do use his when it's available. For some reason, I just found it quicker to find the information that I need. And looking at this color code, you know, it's nice to see how things pop out so quickly versus sitting there staring, trying to find what you looked at earlier. Yeah, I, I agree. And they, um, one of the things that, that I think that we we forget about is the fact that, you know, we, we have all these different commercial products available, uh, like on our iPads, et cetera, where we can zoom in and look at things uh, and it makes it a lot easier. But some people still use some of those printed charts, uh, and that's kind of interesting that that they have done this and have enabled us that still use those printed charts uh, to actually look at this and look at it quicker and and notice the changes. I was kind of uh, and notice you know the really important things is what I, I meant to say. Uh, one of the things that I I talked about with other people that are say airline pilots is you know do you have these do you have them in in electronic format or do you have them in printed format, and both. People that had electronic and printed format both said that they loved uh, the new format there. So interesting stuff. I mean, I really, I'd really, i uh, really be excited for people to go out there 
and check it out and check out what what they're doing with the with the new uh, Jeppesen charts and especially the SIDS and the stars and uh, understanding you know what what the depictions mean. As a matter of fact, when you look at them at first, you're like, oh wow, this is pretty easy. Uh, you know, the you got the magenta is altitude, cyan is speeds, and also we have you know different depictions for the the grid mores, et cetera. So uh, anyway, so that's that's a new product, the new Jeppesen, and I'm really excited about it, as you can tell. But uh, I really would like you to go out there and look at Stuck My Cast and look at the different training tools that are there uh, for two reasons. Even if you don't use them, is number one, it might uh, convince you, hey, maybe I'll be starting to use Jeps here in the future. Uh, I, uh, Tom, you teach with, I think, the government charts, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So, But do you ever go into Jeppesen uh, with your students at all? Yes, I do. Um, actually, uh, I just was working with a student who's going off to take an airline job, and uh, he was, and and that's what he started using was the JEP charts, and and has given me several of them, um, both uh, low and route charts, and some of the the approach plates. So I've been looking at them more and more, and and um, you know, just trying to become familiar with with both because you know I get I get different students who want to use different products. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we find is. People that are wanting to move on to the airlines and those of us that are flight instructors are, you know, not just hobbyists where we're actually teaching. It's people that want to move on to the airlines. And you're going to need to know a little bit about the JEPs if you're going to be teaching someone to move it on to the airlines, especially, interestingly enough, and this always blows my mind, is that in an interview, they're going to ask you JEPs and, and you're like, gosh, you know. I don't, never use Jeppesen. I've only used the government charts, and and that that's where you have to go to someone like Tom, who has some experience with both, and and says, hey, this is this is what the differences are. This is what you need to know for your interview, and this is what you're going to have to use for the rest of your career. Uh, they are different, uh, but they're both really good. I, I still will kudos to the, the government charts, and and again, uh, I know that uh, Russ, you you like the government charts, and I I big hats off to what the what they've done with them, and also moving forward with with those charts too. Uh, not only Jeppesen has moved forward, but also the government charts. They constantly are changing and constantly looking at, at different ways to improve them. So good stuff. Good stuff there. Um, anyway, moving on to charts, talking a little bit more about uh, on a, from a VFR standpoint is uh, let's, let's switch to talking about taxing and taxi procedures. Uh, before we get into this discussion, I uh, had an article that I wrote on Expert Aviator I wrote it back in 2011, and it was hold short of where, understanding the new taxi procedures. One of the things that I wanted to drill through is the fact that uh, air traffic control is no longer going to have you cross multiple runways at a time. Uh, this was true back uh, before 2011. They could tell you to cross multiple runways on your way to an actual the runway you're going to take off from. Well, they've actually changed that uh, back in 11. And one of the things that's really important is that uh, if you do, if they do give you that instruction, you kind of query them and that every runway you cross, and this is what I want to get across before we talk about it, every runway you cross, make sure you've been given instructions to actually cross that runway. One of the things that the FAA is really uh, putting a big emphasis on, and I think it's really important, I'd love to hear from from the other folks that uh, here, the flight instructors and also those of us that are out there, you know, taxing a lot and, and I tell you, this gets me nervous when I'm out there taxing is, you know, am I going to the right place? Uh, Am I doing the right thing? And I have a very heightened awareness heading out to the runway. I'm kind of curious from because I know Tom and and Russ, both of you do a lot of flight instruction compared to what I do. 
is is there anything that you before we talk about this is there anything you really emphasize as far as taxing and taxi procedures with your students uh tom what is there anything that you emphasize first i'll go with you well, it depends on the environment that you're in. I mean, I'm, I'm at a fairly busy airport, so um, we have a ground control. And um, I emphasize with students not only to keep their eyes outside of the plane at all times when it's moving on the ground, but also to be listening constantly for what the other instructions are given to other aircraft on the ground. Because it's amazing how sometimes you'll say, uh, I'll see a student and he'll start calculating his mind and go, hey, that guy's going to be heading right at us. And, and he's absolutely right, but the controller has got a plane coming in our direction on the other side of the field, and we're going to turn off of that taxiway at some point. But yes, you were correct. You were listening to that correctly and, and, and heard that that other airplane, which uh, at that particular time was an MD-80 against us in a Cessna 172, um, he was going to be on our taxiway, you know, and that's important. <laughs> it's very important <laughs> that, you, that you realize something like that. Interesting. How about Russ? Is there is there anything that you emphasize uh, or a point you like to make when you start talking about taxing and taxing procedures? Yeah, I, I teach at a, f- a few different airports, a couple towered airports and a couple of uh, non-towered airports. But uh, so at the at the towered airports, yeah, I mean, you just kind of like a lot of what Tom said, but you know, know the taxiway environment. You know, have the the taxiway diagram. Listen to your taxi instructions and. Um, don't just, uh, you know, they may have a standard way that they get you to the runway every time, but, you know, it may change occasionally. And I've seen that recently where, you know, they usually taxi you down Bravo, but they need you to go down Alpha for some reason. And you almost take the wrong turn because you're so used to it. So just, just, well, it's just like anything with air traffic control. You pay attention. If you don't understand, you, you know, get clarification. If you need to stop before you get clarification, then, then do that. Just, just make sure you know what, what they expect and they know that you're doing the right thing. And and from uh, a student perspective and, and you know a private pilot perspective, uh, Rick, when you were started learning and you started watching the taxi procedures and listening on the radio, et cetera, uh, was there was there something that brought some angst in you in your your mind, or uh, what was the most challenging part to actually taxing? Well, I think I think what we've just discussed a little bit, which is. You know, making sure you heard correctly and not assuming that it, that it is what you're used to doing. Also, you know, there were a couple. Ca- you know, depending on which runway uh, at, at the airport I was at, mostly it was it was always a little more. Uh, initially, it was always a little more nerve making, nerve nerve wracking to to cross a runway. You, you know, because just because it's you know it's a runway. Uh, the, the the principal runway there. Um, is very close to the taxi uh, area and, and the, the um, there was, you know, you never, you didn't have to do it a lot, but when you did to get to the secondary uh, runway, um, you know, that, that made me a little nervous at first. And, and there was a couple, you know, early on, especially I remember just having second thoughts, you know, just, am I right about where, where I am and what I'm about to do? Is that, wh- what line is that? <laughs> and, um, and they changed, I don't remember the specifics, but I know there was, there was one, uh, area they got repainted and um and they moved a whole short line a little bit and and uh and that was one I didn't use a lot so I remember actually stopping early and asking because I didn't you know I, I wanted to be careful so uh yeah it's it's um it it's it's a thing <laughs> but but I think ultimately I got pretty used to it when once you're at an airport long enough the same airport um just paying attention you're you're used to all the variables and you you know are used to listening for them so 
You know, you brought up a great point, Rick, is, you know, when we are taxing, one of the things that, w- that we do that actually is something that, that we can trap is the fact that, uh, you know, we may have a preconceived notion as to how to get to the end of the runway. Like you were saying, <laughs> they repainted a line. And uh, that actually can be detrimental as you're going out to that runway. And that's something that we really need to look at is that we don't in our mind think, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go from here, 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 and here. Uh, I know I go to an airport all the time and I taxi the same way every time. And it's always Hotel Alpha Sierra to runway eight. Well, sometimes it's Hotel Alpha Juliet. And, but I've always heard Hotel Alpha Sierra. So one of the things that we try to do when we're taxing is actually listen to those those taxi instructions and also if we're at an uncontrolled air, airport a non-towered airport we have to actually make sure that we look at the diagram every single time and i know it's hard to do that especially when you're flying out of somewhere for every, you know every day etc and say to yourself what am, what am i going to do and and where am i going but not have a preconceived notion, and it's really hard because if you're you're someone like like Tom, I know you fly at a PIE at, at St. Pete Clearwater International all the time. You probably have gone to the same runway a million times, and you have the same route. And you know, one day there might be a notum, hey, listen, this is we're moving this line or this taxiway is closed, and you start going in that direction, like, oops, uh, that was embarrassing, you know, and and that that's uh, something we have to trap. Those are errors we have to trap, and that's really really important. Um, one of the things uh, you brought up, uh, Rick, as far as crossing a runway, and this is something before we get into the discussion about holding short of wear, and something I kind of want to have a, a conversation about, is what do we do when we cross a runway? You know, what is it that we do, and what procedures do we have, and, and what's a recommended procedure to crossing a runway? Uh, I know that we're in my work, and then just in general in life, I always say, don't do anything. You know, don't do anything until you've crossed the runway. Don't run checklists. Don't think about the approach or whatever. Just concentrate on crossing that runway or not crossing that runway and and actually remembering uh, what you need to do. So one of the things that I've found is that we we don't think about anything else but taxing when we are taxing and we're especially when we're crossing a runway. Again, going to trying to avoid runway incursions and that's something we're, we're trying as hard as we can to do uh tom what what is it that you do with your students and what uh examples might you have uh where you are as far as crossing runways and uh what procedures do you recommend to your students so uh yeah i've gotten i've gotten off of taxiways that are uh, far uh relatively speaking from a crossing runway and i've had controllers uh you know say you know um okay I'm off a of Juliet off a of runway four taxi back to, uh, and I got to go to the other side where the, uh, the South ramp is. And they'll say taxi via Mike cross runway, uh, three, six and continue via alpha six alpha to back to the ramp. And it's a long taxi to get down there. And he's already given me the clearance to cross the runway. However, before I get to the cross the runway line, and I suggest this to my students, I just announce it to the ta- or the ground controller before I actually go across the runway. Before my wheels go across that line, I key the mic and I say, uh, St. ground crossing runway three, six, and, and I'll give the tail number. And, um, you know, that's, that's worked out well. They usually acknowledge it and say, okay, yeah, approved or whatever. But I have had it happen once where, um, you know, the controller went 
negative, hold short, 3.6. And sure enough, there was a, uh, a C-130 on a short approach. And I don't know what was going on between him and the tower controller, but, you know, it was a good thing I called. He had me stop there and, and wait for this other aircraft to come in before he let me go across the runway. And, and it's just, I, I, I say that example because it, it can happen. We're all human beings. And, and uh, if it takes a long time to get from point A to point B where that clearance is, either stop and ask or, or just acknowledge it, that uh, you, you're going to cross that runway. And it's just a practice that I got into. That's an awesome example. And what it does is there's, there's two things there. When you said that you were crossing the runway, you may have missed the instruction that you weren't clear to cross, but also the controller may have said, oh, no, wait a minute. I need to change that instruction and that clearance, and you need to hold short. So two things have happened there. You've given the person the opportunity to change that, uh, but you also have clarified whether you need to cross the runway or not, and that would uh, avoid a disaster right there. So that's that's really important. I like that I like that example. That's awesome. I, as a matter of fact, what we'll do, we'll, we'll get that chart. That was PIE, right? You're talking about St. Pete Clearwater? International Airport, and uh, where you were talking about like Alpha 6, that area, that's where all the general aviation is, and I'd love to, I'll put that on the website as far as a link to that. Of course, not the Jeppesen chart, and aside, we can't put the Jeppesen charts on our website until we have permission uh, to put those on there, so I'm, I usually put the government charts on there, so we will, you know, designate which ones are which, uh, but when we do get permission, we will put certain Jeppesens out there, uh, but that <clears throat> That's really important. What you said is is designating the, the crossing. But here's another thing that I think is really important, and, and then I'll talk to Russ about what he does as far as crossing. What he does as far as crossing the runway, exactly what procedures you use. But one thing that I was taught as a little kid is that when I'm crossing a road to look both ways, and uh, one of the procedures that we've instituted in our airline, and I think most airlines do this, is that you actually have to clear both sides. As you're crossing the runway, you say clear left, clear right, so that you know there's nobody landing or taking off. So I think that's that's extremely important to actually not just – first of all, the most important thing is to keep yourself safe and not hit anything. Uh, so – one of the things you're doing here is making sure you don't hit anything by looking both ways because we can all make mistakes. Using your eyes to cross that runway is, is extremely important. So look both ways before you cross a runway. That's my biggest thing. Uh, and also as far as runway incursions and violations, make sure that your clearance is proper, just like Thomas said. Now, Russ, I'd like to know some of the things that you uh, teach your students. And as far as just crossing the runway, what type of procedures do you recommend? Well, I like what uh, everybody's talking about, uh, you know, both, uh, Tom and, and Carl, uh, your procedures are uh, good. I like those. Um, I use a lot of those myself. Uh, I like, and to see them, I guess, hear them <laughs> kind of verbalizing it. Now I, I talk to myself when I'm flying and a lot of people do, you know, when I'm by myself, but I think it's valuable as you approach the runway to, to ask yourself, are we cleared to cross runway? And yes, we're cleared to cross. I mean, if you wrote it down, you know, make, you know, double check and read it off. But if we've got two people in the airplane, I see this, you know, where the, uh, I, in the airline terminology, I guess the pilot flying will, you know, reverbalize, you know, we're cleared to cross, you know, runway three, one or something. And of course, looking both ways, uh, man, if you look both ways and, and you see that there's somebody there, whether you're cleared to cross or not, hopefully you're going to stop. Right. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, just just keeping track of what you're what you're clear to do, writing down your taxi instructions. I mean, unless they're very simple or you're very familiar, making sure you you write those down and and go through them real quick again as you come to each runway. Make sure you're clear to cross. And there's there's another point too. I think Tom uh, was making. What was the point you were trying to make, Tom? 
Well, that, uh, you were talking about looking both ways uh, going across the runway. And, and I tell my students, you know, look at the approach end, look at the departure end. You never know. There may be somebody who's coming to the airport who's having, a, having an emergency. You know, they could have lost communications and, you know, they have an engine out, whatever, and they're coming down on that runway. You know, and, and you know, you never know. You just got to be up and looking around. So that whole looking around before you cross is, is really important. That's awesome. Great, great advice. And also, if you see my student that I taught that uh, can't hear, you know, and is a deaf pilot, then you really need to, you know, look around, make sure because that person can't transmit on the radio. Uh, so always look out the, the window and make sure it's clear both sides, emergencies, uh, et cetera. So this is some really good stuff. I know I've I've taken something from this. So some great advice. Uh, if you know you're listening and you have some other ideas, you know, write them to us and and say, hey, listen, this is what I do, and these are some ideas that we have as far as as crossing the runway. So now that we've talked a little bit about runway incursions and holding short, that type of thing, uh, and crossing the actual runway, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is this article I wrote. And uh, one of the things I really appreciate is people that put comments on uh, on Stuck Mike Avcast and also on some of the articles at expertaviator.com. There was a big discussion that started uh, not too long ago about an article I wrote back in 2011 that I talked about. There's a link to it. It's Hold Short Aware, Understanding the New Taxi Procedures. Well, I was looking at, uh, and people were coming up with different arguments, and I was trying to kind of prod people a little bit, not not being me, but trying to get them to explain exactly what they're talking about. But uh, one of the things that that's important is that if if you see something that's not correct anymore, definitely tell us about it because we need to update procedures as those procedures are updated uh, with the FA, et cetera. And this is one of those instances. I think this is really really important uh, is that we actually uh, look at what we have on the diagram and what they mean. You have ILS hold areas, approach hold areas, runway hold points. Uh, we need to understand those things. So there's uh, something that we need we need to do as far as going out to the runway, and that's actually to brief ourselves before we get there. Uh, and one of those things is in our briefing is understanding the actual procedures, and that is really important. How do you do that? You actually go back and you read your regulations and uh, and you understand what it is we need to do. So uh, before before we go into that, I know I think Tom, you had some an interesting point to make before I actually get into this actual instance, uh, and that was something about. Uh, doing a runway type of a briefing. Do you have a specific briefing that you do, Tom? Sure. And, and you know, I, I, I look at it myself and I teach my students as well. I'm kind of a Google Earth geek, you know, and uh, it turns mm -hmm. out Google Earth has a, um, um, a, if you go into the layers function of it and look down under more, you can click things for transportation and one of them under there is airports. And I keep that clicked on my Google Earth at all times and that way when I'm zooming in, I can see all the airports around. Well, sure enough, if you zoom in on an airport, you can see how it's shaped, where the taxiways are. And, and I look at that. If I'm traveling someplace that doesn't necessarily have a diagram, going to a smaller airport, um, I can look at it beforehand and I familiarize myself with where the taxiways are adjacent to the runways and how I would get from point A to point B. Um, if, if I get really into it and I'm going to stay there for a minute, I, I find out where the, uh, the FBO is on the field. And usually you can find that by uh, finding the FBO and finding its address and, and let it pinpoint it on the field and uh, get an idea of what it looks like before you even get there. And, of course, you know, we're supposed to check all this stuff as pilots before we ever go flying in the first place, you know. Um, but, but that's one of the extra steps that I try to do um, so I don't have those runway incursions. I don't want to be confused when I get on the ground because it never looks what I anticipate it to be. 
Right. I think that's that's really cool. Just going out there and flying it in a simulator, you know, and before you head out to the airport, that's that's a really cool idea, too. I mean, that's that, that'd be awesome. And so there's, there's so many ways that we can prepare ourselves so that we don't have that runway incursion. Um, but also uh, the other thing we want to do is make sure we don't violate any rules. And uh, so now let's let's look at this specific instance. And if you're uh, and I'm going to describe it. Uh, if you, you're not on the website and you can't pull these up, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this Louisville, Kentucky instance. Uh, we've had in the past, and uh, certain airlines have had instances where they have potential violations due to this. And uh, what the violation was, and it really wasn't uh, straightforward in the past, was actually a violation of crossing the approach hold point. Uh, we understand that uh, if we're told by air traffic control that we need to uh, – ground control that we need to taxi to a runway. We can taxi to that runway, uh, but we can't actually cross any other runways unless we're told to do so. But also, uh, we have to hold short of that runway when we get there. Uh, so if we're told to, say, taxi to 3-5 right, we need to actually hold short of that runway until we're told to go into position and hold. So we just want to make that sure we understand that. Number one, you can't go onto the runway if you're told to taxi to the runway. Uh, you hold short of that runway. If you're told to position to hold, then you can get onto the runway. If you're told to take off, you're clear for takeoff. You can obviously get on the runway. So that's just a simple you know, refresher as to what we can do going out to the runway. Now, what's interesting about Louisville is that, and this is actually true of some other airports, is they have approach hold lines. And if you look at the article that I have at, uh, at the Expert Aviator, there's a chart. Uh, that you can pull up, and that's actually it's an older one, but you can pull it in, up out of your aim, and it shows all the different signage on the airport, like your taxi and runway hold position signs, your runway approach hold position, which is what we're talking about, and also the ILS critical area hold position. Uh, the runway hold position and the ILS critical area hold positions, uh, if you are told to hold short of those points, you actually need to hold short of those points on the way out to the runway. So the clearance would be like to taxi to 3-5 right, hold short of the approach hold and position. And that's what you're going to do is you're going to hold short of, uh, you'll see it on the chart, is an actual thing that says approach hold line. Okay, If they tell you to hold short of that line, you need to hold short. If they don't tell you, you can actually continue taxiing to the end of the runway unless it is specified. And this is really important. Read your notams because sometimes... There are notams that tell you you have to actually hold short of the approach hold or of the ILS critical area. So that's really, really important. The ILS critical area you can actually be told to hold short of, and that is something that we we are told to hold short of often. It can also be in the notams. And what's what's interesting is there's an airport. I forget where I was. I was oh, I was in LaGuardia landing. And it actually was in one of the notams and told people to hold short of the ILS critical area. And uh, the little symbol for the ILS critical area, you can look on the on the chart. You know, it's two lines with little up and down equal signs. Uh, I think that was a good description. Uh, but there's uh, – you're actually told within the notams or the ATIS, you're listening to the ATIS, to actually hold short of that point. People didn't hold short, and we had to go around because uh, one of the other airliners didn't hold short of that. So make sure, even though it says that the air traffic control has to give you clearance to get to the runway and has to tell you to hold short of the approach hold position or the ILS critical area, remember that it can also be there 
based on a NOTAM and or, or other local procedures. So look everywhere. Look at your NOTAMs is what I'm trying to say. So uh, getting back to, uh, and, and good point I think Russ brought up is that, you know, there's the ILS critical area and there's the approach hold point. And you can see the difference there uh, that uh, the runway hold position, uh, approach hold position, it's really uh, what you're doing here. And I think, uh, Russ, we had discussed earlier, this was a little confusing what the approach hold point is. The approach hold point is a it's a point where it's a physical uh, point that we need to hold short of because, say, we if we go past that point, we may bump into another airplane. Maybe their their gear might you know fall into our path, et cetera. So we need to actually hold short of that point. Say you're taxiing towards the end of a runway, and it's you have this approach hold position. You need to hold short of that if they tell you to, uh, and that's a position that's put there so you don't physically impinge upon the approach path of the other aircraft. Uh, so that's really really important. But anyway, getting back to this example, uh, I placed forward an example where we were told to taxi to three five right. And uh, I said I was expecting to see uh, the approach hold line, and I didn't. And I saw, you know, the two flashing lights, the yellow lights, and the runway, you know, safety zone, the exit, or the boundary, runway uh, hold point with the two solid lines, two dash lines. And I held short there. And uh, I was saying I was expecting to see the approach hold point, and I didn't. There's a, a subtlety there that I was trying to make. Sometimes, these are in non-standard areas, these approach hold points, which uh, in this example, I think it was this one and some others, uh, it actually wasn't in a non-standard position, and we had missed it. So if we were actually told to hold short there, that would have been, been a big problem, but we weren't. told that We were told to go to the end of the runway. And uh, here we are at the end of the runway. The most important thing was to hold short and ask the controller, hey, listen, what do we need to do and not go past any other points? Because we actually were at the end of the runway. So that was kind of a subtle point there. The other point is that back in 2011, the approach hold point was not implemented uh, actually evenly across all air traffic control organizations and all, across all different facilities. In other words, the approach hold point, and this is something that was pointed out in the comments, you don't have to hold short of that unless you're told to hold short. Just like the ILS critical area, the ILS hold line, you don't have to hold short of that unless you're told to. The problem is that with this approach hold line, because it's something new to a lot of us, uh, air traffic control wasn't very clear in the past as to what you need to do when you approach that or what the controller needs to do to tell you to go to the end of the runway. And uh, and so they clarified that. They actually uh, came up with an update in uh, 2014. And uh, they have these uh, air traffic organization policies, and you can actually read that. I have a link to it, uh, where they actually clarified the actually phraseology of taxing and ground movement and the things that have actually changed. This policy was put in place because of the fact that so many violations were actually being uh, implemented uh, or, or they were actually being placed into the system as a violation, which they actually were not. Uh, so what they did is they said, hey, listen, we need to we need to clarify what an approach hold area is. Again, not confusing with ILS critical area because we all understand how to use those, ILS critical area. The approach hold area, they decided to actually put this in the pilot controller glossary. I'll just read to you real quick what it is. Uh, they did an update to it. So they, they say the definition of the approach hold area is the locations on taxiways in the approach or departure areas of a runway designated to protect landing or departing aircraft. 
These locations are identified by signs and markings. Uh, and the guidance there is that they actually have to give you the clearance to hold short of that approach hold. Uh, and by doing that, by putting this order out there, they've gotten rid of all the inconsistencies throughout the system. I thought this was awesome that they do this. So the, this, this issue has been ongoing, and it was, uh, there was a lot of angst amongst uh, a lot of airline pilots. As a matter of fact, uh, most airlines have implemented procedures where they have uh, different diagrams, their own diagrams and different procedures and different notes about airports. And within those notes, this is one of the things they mention is don't go past this approach hold point because that local – and it's not just this airport. There's a bunch of airports that were doing that. They were actually violating people for passing that approach hold point in reality until there was some confusion until this came out. So I'm glad people actually said, you know, told us about this and told me about this in the article. And you're right, it has changed. Uh, but back in in the back in 2011, uh, the guidance there we were giving us people just to hold short and uh, and not continue forward until this was placed out there. So hopefully that that was a, a, a decent explanation of that. So I'd like to kind of open that up to discussion. So does has anybody is that clear as mud, uh, everybody, as far as what what I'm trying to get across here as far as the approach hold. Any questions as far as, you know, Russ or, or Tom or Vic or, or Rick as far as uh, is there any any confusion maybe as for what you're going to do at an approach hold point? Well, I think uh, for me, the the confusing thing was that these approach hold lines look just like your normal VFR hold lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference is they have a, I guess, a sign over the side that says APCH for approach. So, you know, looking at just looking at the lines, they don't look like the instrument hold line. They look like a VFR hold line. So there's a little bit of confusion there, and I think it's a, it's just a, a training issue at this point. Right, and that approach hold point, you you haven't seen that before, and and a lot of us haven't. But if you've taxi at some airports, like I know Denver has them, uh, up where Rick is, uh, Boston has a bunch of them. Oh my gosh, Boston, that's a that's a runway incursion waiting to happen. That place is just crazy. It's all, you know, there's many different runways that intersect, et cetera, and that's. Uh, that's a great training environment for uh, for runway incursions and understanding what these different signs mean. Uh, but again, uh, like you said, it kind of gets confusing with the ILS critical area boundary. Notice the signs are red. You know, the ILS critical hold point is actually in a red sign. So is the approach hold, and so so is the runway hold position. So uh, a lot of times in our mind, red means stop, and if you're confused, then just stop and ask. So that that's the point there, but it is it is a bit confusing, and it is uh, it is something that they finally clarified, and I'm glad people brought it up because uh, this is something that has changed back in 2014, and uh, I'm glad they actually clarified the fact that you can continue past that unless they've told you to hold short, of course. Uh, it's it's what's funny is when this came about when I was doing the research for this to talk about it. I actually was taxiing out in Denver at night to take off to do a red eye back to, uh, I think it was JFK or something. And sure enough, on the way out there, there was an approach hold line, and the the captain's taxiing, and he looks at me, and I look at him, and I was like, yep, we can keep going. And it's like, yeah, you're right. And and I had mentioned this article and what we were going to talk about here. Uh, and it does lead to a little bit of confusion uh, when you're taxiing out there. But if you have any confusion, just stop and ask. That's all. That's the point there. Anyway, if nothing else is to be added to that, I'd, I'd encourage you to go and look at the da- taxi diagram. Tell us a little bit about uh, experiences you've had with the approach hold point uh, in your background as far as taxiing around different runways at different airports. Uh, they're not just at really big airports. They're, they're all over the place just to, to make sure that we don't uh, impinge upon the approach and uh, actually the uh, departure end of the runway 
with other aircraft. Our picks of the week. So moving on to our next segment uh, is our picks of the week. This is a lot of fun. I love doing the picks of the week and also the video of the week we started doing. Uh, and that's really something that I think it's been a lot of fun. If you can go out to uh, stuckmikeavcast.com at the bottom, just hit the play button. We're going to start putting more and more videos out there. Uh, your suggestions uh, are more than welcome. I'd love to hear uh, what videos you thought were really cool for that week. We love inspirational videos. That's one of the things we try to do here is to inspire people to continue on in their flying uh, in this avocation that we, you know, this is just something we all love to do. We love being up in an airplane and, and flying around. So let's get started with the picks of the week. I uh, Actually, I'm going to go first because this is something we started the podcast with, is, uh, and this is a medical thing, and it actually talks about the blood pressure refresher, and that's actually under uh, AOPA and their website. It's uh, There's a link to an article, really cool stuff about blood pressure. We were talking about things that we didn't realize we could fly with. One of the things is high blood pressure, but there's certain things we need to do uh, to actually go forward with flying with high blood pressure and also taking medicine for high blood pressure. In the past, we used to think, oh, no, I can't fly with this. Just like we we're saying, we couldn't fly with diabetes. You can. You just have to figure out what you need to do, and they have some great services at AOPA. But this article is really cool as far as a, a quick worksheet, as far as what you need to do, uh, what you need to you know think about when you start taking the medicine and how to go about uh, flying with the higher blood pressure. And also, they talk a little bit about getting it down, you know, that type of thing, and, and how we can go forward with that. But um, I think in the past, they were, uh, I'd have to you know, ask for clarification on this one, but there was uh, no maximum, I think, in the past as far as blood pressure during your medical, but now I think there is guidance uh, that it, has, it cannot exceed. I think it's one, here it is, uh, 155 over 95. Uh, and that's, uh, and, and the point being is that, and uh, this is really, this, this was a really cool statement made by AOPA is to remember that this is regulatory medicine, not clinical medicine. Uh, there's, there's two different things. You should always, you know, use your clinical medicine. In other words, go to your regular doctor, get a physical, get all these things done, uh, that are outside the FAA medical. There's so many other things you need to do besides getting your medical, your FAA medical. I have this argument with my father all the time. Uh, he's a doctor and, uh, he looks at the medical exam. He says, that's no exam. And I said, well, that's just the FAA medical. It's just what I need to pass so I can fly an airplane. It's not a complete physical. Uh, so we, we always go back and forth with that. And it's been 20 some odd years. We still argue same, same argument. That's for sure. But this is really cool. Cool article. So check that out. Uh, next pick of the week is, uh, Russ, Russ, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a, uh, it's a, it's a book which many people will recognize. I think many, many flight instructors, uh, it's called the savvy flight instructor secrets of the successful CFI. And this book has been around for 20 years, I think now, but why I'm bringing it up now is last year he came out with the second edition, which is great because, uh, this, this book goes into a lot of the, you know, okay, now what now, now I'm a flight instructor. Now what do I do? You know, I've got the training, um, I got the certificate in my wallet, but, uh, how do I get students? You know, what, what is expected of me? How do I market myself? Uh, how do I appear professional? All those kind of things that really aren't covered a lot in training. And because the first edition was, like I said, about, about 20 years ago, it, it obviously didn't have social media on there and web pages and you know <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So he's updated the book now it, it includes all that kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm reading through it again and, uh, you know, getting a, 
remembering a lot of the hints that I read the first time, but maybe uh, weren't applicable to me at the time, and uh, getting some new tips along the way. So uh, definitely recommend uh, if you are a flight instructor or are planning on being one, checking this book out. Uh, Again, it's uh, The Savvy Flight Instructor by Greg Brown. We'll have the link in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. And that's the second edition, which I can't yeah. wait to read that, Russ. That's going to be yeah. so cool. It's a big update. I will say he's he's a great author. And if you're an instructor and you want to be a good instructor and have a good business flight instructing, it, you need to read this book. Uh, so definitely check that out. Awesome. Awesome pick of the week. Uh, Rick, let's see. Rick, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, hi. If it's uh, Rick's pick of the week, it's an app, and it's a weather app <laughs> quite often. Uh, so guess what? Yeah, it's a weather app. Uh, no, I was talking. I was chatting with Dan Pimental of um, uh, and, and about about stuff he uses and things, and, and he mentioned something that he goes he does a lot uh, and uses a lot and he really likes, and that's an app called Deep Weather, and uh, it's from a, a um, developer company called rate of climb industries the developer is also a pilot and um it's a very basic thing but but really clear and clean and what what the app does uh you can select i believe this might be a slight in-app purchase to be able to do this feature but you can either select a a nearby uh, national uh, weather service location or it'll it'll find it'll find the nearest one to wherever you are uh, as you move around and it um it grabs all of their uh uh, text weather descriptions and places them in a very easy to read um, kind of sort. So a synopsis is there. You can you can you can look at that in more detail. But uh, you know close n- near term stuff. And there's specifically aviation, uh, marine, uh, with watches, warnings, and advisories. Um, and uh, I just it's really it's a quick way to quickly scan that stuff that comes in in various other ways that we can all get, but it is definitely not in apps that are regular weather apps. So it's um, it's for people who really want to pay attention to the kind of weather that uh, aviators do, um, and uh, it's really great and it's simple and it's free. And actually, the up the the in app purchase isn't isn't much either, and, and you don't actually need that unless you want a, a couple of extra features that they offer. So. Uh, I would recommend it. I've only been looking at it for a couple of days, but it's called Deep Weather, and uh, I think it's pretty cool. And I love I love simple stuff that presents information you need in a in an organized way. Well, Rick, thanks for that one. That's uh, that's a good pick of the week. Especially, I, I love this company. They have some really cool apps. Uh, one of my favorite. Uh, when you mentioned it, I looked into yeah. it. Was their beer burner app, and it's calories <laughs> burned equals beers earned. Uh, I yeah. think that's pretty cool. It's uh, you know the cross between <laughs> exercise journal and beer discovery, uh, yeah. and I, I think that's that's pretty neat. Uh, yeah. That they they're outside the box and they're they're really. Uh, presenting information in, in a very easy and readable way and it's fun to use too. I think right. that's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that pick of the week. That's that was really cool. Yeah. All right. And moving on to the next pick of the week we have uh let's see, Victoria, what is your pick of the week? Um my pick of the week is uh Shaden sunglasses. They also make um luggage as well as aviation watches that look pretty fancy but i had the opportunity to try on several several different models of their um sunglasses and i ended up choosing the flip-up ones they can actually flip up so you go from wearing nothing practically to wearing sunglasses and it's pretty handy so you don't have to take your sunglasses actually off Um, they can stay on and just flip up 
And uh, they're what I was surprised is they're very bendy and flexible, but they're very strong since they're made of titanium. So um, definitely a neat uh, aviation sunglasses to check out. There's a lot out there, but these ones seem, seem very uh, sturdy and durable. I, I have a pair. I love them. Oh, Yay. yeah. Yeah. And mine are, and you, mine are uh, prescription. So you can oh, have prescription uh, glasses as well as the flip up part. It's uh, pretty handy. Awesome, awesome. Actually, Shaden's been a, a supporter of the podcast in the past, and I've had some really cool giveaways in the past. We'll try to get some of those, especially for those uh, sunglasses. But really neat stuff, really innovative, and uh, they're always moving forward. They have different things now. They, I thought they just did sunglasses. They do other things like bags and watches, et cetera. Yeah, the uh, watches so. look pretty neat. I have yeah. To. There's a lot going on on those watches. <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, that is pretty cool. Maybe I should hint at that for my birthday. Uh, but uh, Shaden.com, uh, go to the show notes, check it out. Uh, great pick of the week there, Victoria. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, I was wearing their hat today uh, while I was working out. So the Shaden is a great supporter of this podcast and podcast in general. Great organization. Uh, next pick of the week is Tom. Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, so I was... Uh... You know, I, I work at a flight school, and uh, we have aircraft that get uh, leased back, and some are owned by the flight school, and, and um, you know, sometimes airplanes come and go. Um, we also have simulators, and um, the simulator that we had, you know, we had a Redbird simulator, and it was a lease back, and uh, the owner decided to move to another area and uh, took his simulator and, and went somewhere else. So uh, we sure enough found another um, owner and uh, brought us another simulator, and it, and this thing, uh, the, the Redbird was a... Um, AATD, which was an advanced um, um, air, airplane uh, training device and uh, aviation training device, and uh, the one that we have now is uh, it's it's called an FTS. It's a company called Fly the Sim, um, and uh, it's a basic um, aviation training device. But um, this touchscreen that's on this thing is like really cool. So I I bring it up because they they have several different models and different things. And and I've always been a proponent of of uh, using a simulator with students and being able to get in there and and teach them things because the simulator has something that the airplane will never have, and that's a pause button. You know, and I can put people in different situations and just stop and say, okay, let's talk about this and and. Um, see what we can learn at this particular juncture of flight, um, something they may not be grasping in the cockpit while they're in the air and, you know, under stress because they're trying to learn and, and, and uh, uh, figure out something new. So, um, you know, this device is pretty cool. Um, the the one that we have is the, um, the um, FM210, which is this thing has a six 60 inch monitors that are wrapped around you and, and, and you're pretty much immersed into the thing. And even though the thing doesn't move, um, uh, this company, they, uh, pride themselves in their, uh, high end graphics. And, uh, it, it literally, I came to a stop uh, after a landing and I could feel myself rocking back and forth. So even though it doesn't have motion, it makes your brain think you're moving. Um, it integrates with, um, a pilot edge, which, uh, you can do, um, air traffic control, talking and, and um, communications with it, and uh, pretty cool little device. So you know, I thought I'd give him a shout-out and uh, um, use that as my pick of the week this week. Well, awesome pick of the week, Tom. You're going to have to show that to me since we're, we live not too far from each other. I'm, I'm excited to go check that out. I'm surprised uh, you didn't stick your nose in the back room today. 
I, I was thinking about it, but I, I kind of I came in there and the, the place has changed so much. I was like, am I in the right spot? Um, but uh, I know the signage is different, et cetera. But definitely want to go check that thing out. Awesome. Fly the Sim uh, is a link is on the podcast here. Uh, also, thanks for that uh, uh, shout out there. These folks are terrific in what they're doing with integrating with uh, everything else that's out there. And uh, I think that's really, really cool. Uh, just like you said with air traffic control. Moving on to the video of the week, we have uh, something that came in that was really interesting. I forget who sent this to me. I apologize. Uh, But it was, uh, you know, you talk about living uh, with your plane. Well, this is kind of a neat, uh, different uh, way of living in your plane. Uh, This is an individual that actually worked on DC-8s. He was an aircraft mechanic, and uh, it's actually at an airport uh, where you can actually fly into. So not only can he fly live with his plane at an airport. He's also flying, living, excuse me, in his airplane. He took a DC-8, converted it, and made it this really cool uh, place where he can actually live inside. And uh, it's it's actually pretty plush, and he started uh, doing some other things to it to make it a little more homey, uh, where it's actually up on... Uh, on these like stilts and he's making a, a different area below that where, uh, where you can live. So check out that it's a YouTube video. Uh, we'll have it where you can play it right on the stuck Mike Avcast. So check out that video as far as living in your plane, which I think that's really unique. I've seen restaurants. Uh, I've seen different, uh, a taco stand that was an airplane and, uh, I, not sure I've seen someone actually living in their plane. I know there was one that was like a, uh, hotel or something that was like a 727 uh, that I saw. I can't remember where that was, but that was kind of cool. So check out the video. If you have a suggestion, again, uh, write to us just like this person did and send us a link to what you think the video of the week should be. Also, a shout out to our sponsor, Three Point Aviation. Three Point Aviation Services has many different services, uh, both uh, from a legal standpoint and also a consulting standpoint. Uh, but we also want a, a quick shout out to his new book, an updated book about IFR holding. You can actually go here at stuckmikeavcast.com and click on the IFR holding video that we produced uh, with the, the folks there at Three Point Aviation. Three Point Aviation has many different uh, oh, seminars, FA seminars that he does, etc. Real neat uh, individual there, Chris Bazala. You can find him at threepointaviation.com. Facebook.com slash threepointaviation is the other place to find them. I really appreciate our sponsors. If you're thinking of sponsoring a podcast, just write us. Uh, we really appreciate what you do out there and what everybody does for aviation, especially the folks at Three Point Aviation, promoting safety and also promoting the, the love of flying, just like we here love to fly. Well, folks, I appreciate you listening this evening, and uh, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.